And yes, you were correct to assume that I'm not wearing pants. Good, good. I mean, I'm I'm in my elementary. I'm in my office. I'm home from work from a long, long day of work. Why the fuck would I be wearing pants? Hmm. I creeped my friends out earlier this week when I showed up to an event and I was wearing pants. Like, they knew something was wrong. <laughs> Did they just pull you aside like, hey, are you having problems at home? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Welcome to Brokusatsu, two brothers' exploration of tokusatsu shows and associated media. I'm Harry. And I'm Sam. And I want to apologize to uh, the listeners and also just the generalized people of uh, uh, Western Washington State uh, for uh, having a fairly serious cold over the past several days and absolutely not staying home from work as a result from that and probably spreading it to, I mean, I work with vulnerable populations I work with children. Boy, Sam, you you really are. I mean, I know no one listens to this, but you kind of do flout some things. <laughs> uh, I mean, should we just be like yelling our social security number and pin number? I'm pretty sure we did that in an earlier episode, didn't we? Yeah. I, I, hey, that's I an Easter egg, listeners, new listeners yeah. for watching or for listening for uh, zero one coverage. Uh, listen to an earlier episode for our social security pin numbers and mother's maiden name. Uh, but for now. Uh, what we're covering is episode four of Kamen Rider Zero One. Episode uh, I already said. All right, I'm just gonna redo this. <laughs> episode four of Kamen Rider Zero One: The Bus Guide Saw It and His Truth. Boy, these episode titles are not very good. It, it are I forget, Harry. Our Kamen Rider episodes aren't they usually kind of fun and good and punchy? Well, Kamen Rider Double was. I think we just got spoiled because they they had a scheme where they had to go off of like the specific letter, so they had to be a little arty about it. But Kamen Rider Gaim is just like, oh, you got a pinecone attack or something. So yeah, it's just I think most of the time it's not good. Uh, Double and O's are the only ones I can think of that did actually interesting stuff with the episode titles. So the two series that I have actually watched to completion for Kamen Rider are the only ones with good episode titles. Yeah, I mean, we're we're exploring downward in some ways, but in, <laughs> but in other ways, this is a very good episode. Yes, yes. I mean, we're four episodes in to Kamen Rider Zero One, and hey, things are things are so far looking pretty good. In fact, like I will say, like some of the stuff at the end of this episode really gave me some serious hope for this series. Yeah, and speaking of looking good. As the episode starts, Aruto and his assistant Isu are on a bus tour of some beautiful greenery. Yes, uh, his assistant is telling him to not sightsee, even though they are on a bus tour specifically to sightsee. Well, I mean, they're they're here to judge the the tour guide Anna, who is the human gear this episode that we're going to get uh, attached to, and then will be tragically turned into an evil robot. That's just going to happen. I mean, we're four episodes like they've definitely established the pattern. Like we're we're not going to bond with these human gears much longer. Like they really got to mix it up. Like, have one escape. Have one escape an episode alive so that we have hope. <laughs> no spoilers for what's going on, because right now, Ada's fine. <laughs> uh, but, like, she she starts, she's given a tour, and like, yeah, uh, so we some beautiful greenery, and now we're approaching a site of great historical significance. The 
bird scorched ruins of Daybreak Town. Yes, the town that's right outside this current city that many people on this bus had friends and family in when it detonated. Yep. The government worked with Hidden Intelligence and some other companies to make a model town run by Humagears. And it was also the launch site of a control satellite, so heavily populated area, also a rocket launch site. I mean, is it that big a surprise that it exploded? I mean, it's really not when you put it that way. God damn. God damn. As far as they know, uh, faulty maintenance meant that part of the R&D sector's power supply overloaded and caused a runaway effect that just kind of wiped out the whole area. And 12 years later, it's off limits. Yeah, an entire dead city completely off limits. Right right next to the town that everyone is currently in, just as a reminder. The knife gets twisted a little bit, because there's a bunch of kids on this tour, and uh, one of them turns to a classmate and says, Hey, uh, you're, it's your dad's fault, right? Because he was definitely in charge of maintenance at that power plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your dad blew this whole thing up. Like, Harry, my god, children are assholes. <laughs> They're monsters. Spe- speaking of monsters... The, not the tour guide, but the bus driver, who has some big ol' sideburns, uh, he gets very quickly converted by evil terrorist Jin. Yes, he is turned into a bat monster. I will say, the human gears, or the monster gears, what what are we calling them? Monster human gears? Uh, mad gears, or magia? Okay, uh, the magia mad gears. Uh, they're getting progressively less humanoid, it would seem, as these episodes are going on. Like, you know, the previous episode, we had lots of tentacles. Now we have, like, wings and claws. Like, I was kind of critical. Well, not critical. It was definitely a stylistic choice. But it seemed like the very early episodes, the monsters almost looked like common Riders. The villains may be developing their tech further. Yeah, if if this is intentional, then it's quite clever. Uh, but for now, it just starts yelling about exterminating all humans. And Aruto is about to put on his belt and throw down. But hey, the, the cops are here. Yeah, it's uh, both cops, and they both transform and immediately fight the bat, and they're doing really, like, they're doing well enough where I was kind of concerned that this guy was just going to go down immediately, and we were going to have a second monster, because clearly, you know, the bus, uh, the tour guide needs to die later in the episode, so maybe she gets turned into the second monster of the week. Their teamwork is a little spotty. Uh, Fuwa, as a shooting wolf, he keeps uh, grabbing uh, Yua and like throwing her out of the way so he can do more bullets. He, he they're they're not really on the same level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it does. The bat Mad Gear decides to fly away because it could do that, and that's a good move at this point. Yeah, it just kind of runs away, and the cops just are annoyed. Fuwa definitely notices that uh, Aruto is at the center of a lot of these attacks. Yes, and Harry, like I kind of, I make a point here too. Like, do we think it's intentional? Is it just bad luck? Is it, like, storytelling, like, or narrative convenience that Aruto is, or Arturo is everywhere that the monsters attack? Or is his secretary kind of steering him towards where she knows that, uh, that human gears are going sentient and therefore going to be transformed? That is an interesting thought. I, uh, that could be a good plot point. I'm not, I... It, they could develop that either way. It could, it could definitely be convenience, or maybe this is something that's going on. I mean, we have seen Common Rider shows go that complex in the past, where, like, this, the secretary, who is clearly going to be a very permanent and major character in the series before she gets transformed into a monster and dies tragically in an episode, uh, she is probably hiding shit. She is probably hiding some secret knowledge 
is directing Arturo down a very specific path that his grandpa wanted him to go. So it's very possible that she is orchestrating things that we are not quite realizing yet. Now, she she's following a plan, but maybe part of her development will be realizing that, you know, maybe that's not a good plan. So, so uh, the kid uh, from the tour group is sitting on the ground exhausted because, you know, he he's he's not in physical danger anymore, but he's still uh, dealing with the whole problem of his father is considered to have caused a massive worldwide tragedy. And that's kind of a bummer. Uh, of course, the asshole cop does not believe that this is the case. Uh, and to the main character's credit, to Arturo's credit, he kind of is disbelieving the official line as well. He goes off and heads to his headquarters and sits down that vice president for a bit of a talk. He says, hey, uh, I'm, I'm interested. What caused the explosion at a factory in Daybreak? Immediate flop sweat from the vice president. I'm afraid I don't recall. Yeah, what, why are you asking? I asked first. Cut the crap, you're hiding something. The The tour guide who's hanging along says, hey, uh, there's missing records from the... Fumigear uprising that occurred 12 years ago like I've, I've seen like I have eyewitness testimony and that's kind of conflicting with some stuff but the vice president is just you know he's clammed up Arto goes as far to say I'm the president of this company I'm asking you directly what happened and mm-hmm. he still gets stonewalled well he does say sometimes protecting a company means keeping the truth in the shadows and then when pressed further he says I'm afraid I don't recall it is as lawyered up a line as you could imagine. Yeah, he he takes the fifth. Bus tour Anna doesn't like this. She, I think that maybe of the human gears we've seen so far, she she's showing a lot of initiative here. She's thinking like, hey, it's my job as a bus guide to share the history of destinations, and like, if it's my job to uncover and verify the truth, I'm the best bus guide ever. She's digging for it, Harry. Like she is in. Also, she's doomed. Clearly. Uh, I mean, someday they won't be doomed. One. One will not be doomed to give us hope for the remainder of the series. One will escape, and then we'll be like, maybe this time. Maybe this time. Uh, but, no, Aruto agrees. He says, we're booking a trip to Daybreak Town. Like, I'm, I'm the boss. I can't ignore an employee in need. Oh. I know he considers his Cuba Gears employees. And he has since the first episode. Like, this is very much uh, in keeping with everything we've seen of Arturo. It's very natural, a character line. Yeah. Uh, me- meanwhile, another consistent character line. Uh, the cop is showing a bit of his recklessness for the rules because he's breaking into that off-limits area and he's taking the dumb, like, ten-year-old kid with him. Well, um, I guess in his defense, we specifically know that the child is at least eleven and a half years old. It was twelve years ago, so he's he's like thirteen, whatever, junior high. He is still a child. He is still a child being taken by a person who is not a parent or legal guardian into an explicitly quarantined zone that, for all they know, is covered in toxins and radio. Like, a fucking rocket site blew up. <laughs> there was a reactor explosion. And they're going in in their civvy clothes. Like, they don't even have gloves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, uh... The voice of reason shows up and says, Fua, what are you doing? You're not authorized to go in there. Fua shouts, like, this kid is like me. Daybreak ruined his life and he doesn't even know why. Uh She realizes that her partner is an idiot and she can't stop him. Also, if he dies, at least he could collect useful intelligence for her. So she gives him another key. But because she's a passive-aggressive dick, (laughs) 
she keeps it locked. I, did she keep it locked, or is he not even checking anymore? <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, she just says, like, remember what your job is. And Fua says, don't worry, I'm off the clock. And he takes off his tie, because I guess ties are the marks of police officers. I don't know. I don't understand Japan. He's keeping the gun, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Izu is off doing the thing where she looks at the monster of the week and designs some countermeasures in the form of a new toy. So they're, they got a flying guy, so they need a flying thing. They're going to get two new... Harry, they're getting two new armors this episode. I realize we are still in episode four. Are we going to get literally a new armor, a new toy every week? It'll stop at a point, but we haven't hit that point yet. Okay, are, are you sure? I mean, the magazine scans have shown a number of toys. So there's the Rising Hopper form, his main one. And then there seems like there's four secondary ones that he can kind of like add on. And I okay. think those are the ones we're getting until uh, the until we start getting some more plot developments. And also each of the side common Riders have their own like upgrades, as we'll see. Okay, so they're kind of front loading the basic uh, the basic common Riders. And then at, like, the halfway point and, like, towards the end, they'll have, like, some upgraded versions. Precisely. The cop, he has just, like, a little a little dinghy on the shore of the of the condemned area. The, the kid is saying, like, are you sure we're going to find something here? It's like, no, we, we got to try. Uh, by the way, we're being swarmed by robots. Yeah, I cannot emphasize just how unsafe the scene... Like, Harry, imagine if no robots had showed up here. The scene is still fucking dangerous and should not be t- undertaken by a 12-year-old without a parent or legal guardian around, right? Don't worry, kid. I'm not a cop right now. I'm just a man with a gun and who believes that like robots need to be destroyed. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, a fun thing I found out at looking at the wiki. So the Mad Gears, they're based off of uh, extinct animals. The kind of mook ones, they're based off trilobites. Like the, the plating on their faces is kind of a trilobite shell. Oh, okay. So, yeah, trilobite, my gears. Great. Doesn't really come across. It It just looks like armor. Yeah, it, it's just something to refer to him by other than just mooks. Uh, but then uh, Arturo shows up and jumps the mooks and transforms in front of the cop, declaring, I promise as president, I will keep no secrets. Yeah, I'm going to prove human gears are the dream of humanity and I don't need to hide to do it. Uh. So Izu is shouting like, hey, there's a plan to, you know, keep your identity secret. But no, he transforms into Kamen Rider Zero One right in front of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the cop is kind of shaken by this. And, you know, you can see him like wants to like pull up the gun and shoot him in the back of the head. But he keeps it down. Like he is he has contained his rage for but a moment. Character development. He didn't shoot the guy in the back. <laughs> We kind of leave Arturo and his assistants to fight the mooks on the beach. Uh, well, the uh, cop and Anna and the childs, who they're kidnapping, absolutely kidnapping, uh, go into the radioactive disaster zone. Yeah, uh, Anna is the tour guide, she's, so she's got to take them to the end. Ar- Arto, he get he's having some trouble because the bad guy shows back up. So Izu throws him the new thingy. It is the flying falcon mode. Spread your wings and prepare for a force. Okay, that that like the the transformation phrases don't are making certain amounts of sense. Oh, I should uh, take this moment, Harry. What translation were you watching this week? Uh, overtime. Okay, so as overtime, like for the monster trans, uh, 
the initial bat monster transformation did you get a uh, lightning uh lightning destroy or did you get uh, metsubo jinrai's metsubo jinrai okay so overtime has stopped translating that yeah as i said last episode oh well i wasn't paying attention clearly last episode harry you can't expect me to pay attention to the things that you say on this podcast yeah, yeah, don't worry, just more more stuff to talk to my counselor about. <laughs> Anyways, in the burned-out reactor ruins, they're searching around through the rubble. The kid is a little depressed. He hasn't found anything. He's like, I, I give up. The explosion really was my dad's fault. That's, that's just the truth. Like, I accept it. Yep, the cop, uh, he says, no, don't give up. If anyone is going to keep believing in your father, it's gotta be you. Ignore like the common understanding and any data you can find, kid. You gotta believe in your own truth. That's that's my way of being a cop. And then they're jumped by monsters, and they're kind of in a enclosed space, so he can't do a range thing, and he's gotta protect the kid. So he transforms into Punching Kong. After just ripping the new key in half, like not checking it at all to see if it's unlocked, and so he's Punch Guy. He is Gun Guy and Punch Guy. I mean, he, he does gun punching with this one because it can do rocket fists. The kid, having been talked up, he takes three more seconds and immediately finds a memory chip with the exact data he needs. <laughs> Very convenient, that. Anna immediately sticks this, uh, you know, this flash drive that has been on the ground for presumably 12 years and has, you know, survived a radioactive explosion, sticks it right into her head. Yeah, what's she going to get? Radiation poisoning? She's a robot. Uh, no, she's going to get, you know, radiact- like, it's corrupted information, Harry, it's corrupted data. Like, well, if you find a flash drive on the street, you don't stick it into your fucking computer. Yeah. Well, I mean, she has other problems, like, she- she's downloading it, starting to analyze it, but then the bat and, uh, and Aruto, they break in during the fight, and the bat immediately throws some spikes out and converts Anna into a trilobite. She's about to attack the child- but then she fights it. She's the first one that we could see, like, fight off the infection. Like, she retains some of her memories uh, after her transformation, and we can see that she is, you know, struggling and processing the data, and her core directive was to display this information. And so, she does. But, to be clear, she was within arm's reach of the kid, and she was about to rip his skull off. So, that, that cop 100% would have gotten this kid killed under other circumstances. Yeah, I mean, knowing this cop, he's probably still going to get him killed in the future. No, but she starts, she has a handy plot holo projector, and she starts projecting the plot. Yes, this is an incredibly exposition-heavy episode, and so we get to see the core cause of, or at least presumably the core cause, of the disaster 12 years ago. It was Metsubo Jinra. Yeah, the the kid's father, he's in the control room just working stuff, he's shouting, Oh, like, uh, all the human gears have gone berserk, the place is gonna blow, I'm, I'm the only person that hasn't evacuated. And just before he turns to leave, Metsubo Jinrai, in suited form, shows up on the screens and starts giving its supervillain speech. Mm-hmm. This is the declaration of our crusade, Metsubojinrai.net will obliterate this town and lead its humans to slaughter. So he shuts all the gates in the building, he locks in all the monsters with him, and he sits down and dies in an explosion. He has just enough time to mourn his dead, to mourn, well, to mourn his son that he will never see again, and who is quietly watching this whole scene. I mean, there are, it's an affecting scene. It does lead to a lot of questions, most notably, who the fuck recorded this? 
where was the camera in the room? Why did it drop a single memory chip right here in the middle of an explosion in the room where the father died? Uh, yeah, the, the camera was part of the explosion. It just broke open and the chip fell out. Whatever. That, that's not the important bit. The important bit is the cop. Well, the important bit is that kid's dad is a hero. Mm-hmm. But the cop's takeaway is this never would have happened if it weren't for damn Huma Gears. And so he turns around. He sees Arturo in his transformed state and fires his fists at him. But, plot twist, he's actually firing at the monster behind him. Yep, they they seek around him, and they punch the monster into the air and shatter it apart in a very dramatic finisher. Uh, he then detransforms, and Arturo does as well. Uh, the officer says that he's going to take uh, Anna into the station so that everyone learns the truth about the disaster. But as he's saying that, Anna gets hit in the back by a spike and is disintegrated. The camera pans over, and we see the terrorist bros. Uh, Hirobi detransforms. He has a scorpion-themed suit, turns out. Now, Harry, was this the same suit that we saw in the video? Yeah, it's the same guy. Okay. So, is that is that confirmation that these guys are human gears? Why would that be confirmation that they're human gears? Because they're clearly in their teens, and this terrorist attack was 12 years ago. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe they're like mid-20s, maybe late-20s. But at best, that would make them like 14 when this terrorist attack happened. Okay, the the actor for Hirobi was born in 1994. Okay, so 12 years ago, this is 2019, uh, math, 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 20, uh, 2007, so 1994. He would be 13 when this attack took place. Hey, man, <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe he was just like a child soldier. We we didn't see him out of the suit. Maybe maybe he was using a, a voice changer. I mean, there is, of course, many other possibilities. Like, we do have the uh, secret uh, uh, boss of the weapons development lady. So he very well could be the person who was in the suit back in the day. Or, I mean, I did I did kind of call that these guys were human gears at the start of the first episode, and I'm kind of sticking with that bet. I mean, I I'm sticking with they're not. But that's I. That's not based off of the data I have. Okay, okay. As the episode closes, uh, we are back on the mainland, and we see a news, uh, uh, news breaking news story where the corporation has released new evidence about the disaster twelve years ago. Uh, they reverse their story that it was faulty maintenance that caused the explosion, and they reveal that it was actually a terrorist attack by the Metsubo Jinrai. Uh, by looking at it proactively and getting out ahead of the story, they're able to say, hey, it was a terrorist attack. And it's not just the cop yelling, oh, your your damn robots are killing machines and they did everything. So good job, Aruto. You know, Harry, it occurs to me, uh, going with terrorist attack destroyed our plant would have been a better initial story for them, too, rather than faulty maintenance. Because uh. one is their fault and one is not. Unless, of course, unless, of course, the president was behind, you know, Metsubo Jinrai. I guess that's the other, uh, that is the other option, that uh, Arturo's grandfather was actually the terrorist who blew up the lab. I mean, hell, we don't know what Arturo was doing. Well, we kind of saw that. Like, we saw the flashback to baby Arturo, you know, with his father who was bleeding blue in the explosion. I guess he was nearby. He was on the scene. Well, yeah, there's still lots of questions here. But uh, one thing has been, one thing the characters have found out. Fuwa is certain that Arto is keeping his word. He's not. He's not uh, hiding any information. 
they get some grudging respect for each other, which Arturo immediately blows by making another pun directly in the guy's face. Yeah. Don't sweater it. And he kind of pulls up his hood when he does it. He also does kind of a little wavy dance, you know? Yeah, he, he he's full body with his jokes. He He kind of does all of the posing and stuff. <sighs> you know, it's best to deliver puns, like, especially bad puns, just absolutely straight face. Well, it's... It's a difference in comedy. I think this is the Japanese stand-up. Like it, I, it's a whole different thing. Like it's, I shouldn't even speculate. Like it, it's just a very different culture. Comedy is the, the, the least relatable thing for different cultures because it's based off of so many expectations and stuff. I guess Arturo is also canonically a horrible comedian. Well, then again, this episode does show that the cop Fua actually really likes the jokes. Wait, that's how. That's what you took away from that, Harry. That was, like, the most enraged face he a human could possibly make as he was walking away from him. Uh? That was not a laughing face. That was an I am this close to ripping out your spine with my teeth face. I mean, due to the scheduling of the episodes, we're actually recording this one after the next one has come out and I've watched it. He likes the jokes, Sam. Wait, he likes the jokes? Yeah, he likes the jokes. He likes the jokes. I, I disbelieve, Harry. I refuse to believe. Well, you have until we cover the next episode, at which point you'll probably have forgotten you ever said this, so it doesn't Absolutely. matter. Absolutely. I am not beholden to anything I say in the past, Harry. Uh, welcome to episode, like, 60 of our Memento podcast. Where... <laughs> yeah, so, good episode. Moving forward with the plot, uh, and a bit of a connection between a couple of our main characters. Yes, if we're going to have this, like, triumvirate between, you know, uh, the the paragon, the asshole, and then the mystery lady, like, we do have to forge some solid connections. So I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that next episode forges uh, some more connections between uh, probably Arturo uh, and, the, uh, uh, and the mystery weapons development lady. Because, like, she already has a strong relationship uh, with the asshole cop. So those two really need to spend some more time together bonding. Eh, well, I mean... We'll get to the next episode when we cover that, but we we don't need to fill time or anything because we have a big meaty chunk of coverage to finish up with. We are going to complete our coverage of Pirate Sentai Gokaiger. Heck yeah. Sentai Gokaiger, episodes, episode 49, The Greatest Treasure in the Universe. It's not friendship, Sam. It's definitely not friendship. Also, Harry, um, these are, this is very much a three-parter. Should we just say all three episodes? Like, we're doing 49, 50, and 51. We're doing the final three episodes as a block. Let's just give the titles now. And then we'll say them when they, when we count to them. Like, we could just pause briefly and say, like, when they come over. Like, when we get to 50, we'll say 50. Okay, 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 I just... Did I? I tried to see if I delineated what the episode said. Oh, okay. I did. Apparently I did. Never mind. You don't need to cover for your laziness. Hey, I don't read my notes. I don't know why I take them. <sighs> okay. Well, episode starts. Marvelous is still super hurt from last time because he had that whole uh, knockdown drag out fight with Pasco. Like, it's a nice bit of continuity that they forget two minutes into the episode because Marvelous is Wolverine and he has a healing factor. Yeah, well, he had a, a full meal, 
and a night of sleeping, so he's totally fine from that, like, gaping chest wound and the stab through his foot and all the other stuff. Yes. And he walks into a morality debate. Like, there's there's a lot of morality debates this, uh, this uh, few episodes. Uh, this first one is they have retrieved the five uh, remaining Sentai team's uh, keys uh, from the fallen Basco. And they're wondering if they actually have the right to use it because they were not given these keys. And they were not given these ultimate powers. Cut to a white space that they all get sucked into. And then one person from each of the five Sentai shows up and is like, No, you're cool. Like, uh, we saw what you're doing. You're the Gokaijers. Keep on shining like the sun, you know. Uh, yeah, you, you get the powers, whatever. It's towards the end of the series. Yes, they all get the nods of approval from the dead rangers. Like, Harry... Uh, Basco killed all these guys, right? Like no. they're they're commuting from the afterlife. No, Basco he he sucked out the power, but he that doesn't kill someone. Uh, uh, you're right, you're right. Like leaving them an exploding building, and you know, sending Sally the crazy monkey after them does. I don't. I feel like Basco doesn't. I uh, he has a problem with not finishing people off because that's why the main characters are still there. Okay, I guess so. I guess so. And this would the scene would make a little bit more sense if these were spirits commuting from the afterlife. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> They're just actors coming in for a very quick cameo and paycheck. Uh, so then we cut to a nice comedy scene where now they have uh, all the keys and permission to use them. So they turn to Navi and they say, "Hey, do- hey, bird, turn into a door." <laughs> and <laughs> they look at each other and like, oh, "How does this work?" Like, I'm not sure if it's literal. And Navi says, like, I'm not actually a door. Like, how's this? But then they grab her and say, like, maybe your mouth opens. Is there, like, a switch? We then cut away and uh, up to the uh, gigant horse, uh, where the scientist, uh, the evil scientist, is getting talked down by the Emperor and his right-hand minion. They've been calling in reinforcements from all over the Empire. They, they decided, hey, let's stop just piecemeal doing this. Let's get everybody together and take care of this planet once and for all. And Insarn is, you know, pleased that they got this big fleet. But Dirando points out, hey, this isn't good news for you. You're part of the dopey trio that let Walsgill die. If you're not going to be alive once the Earth is conquered. She has this final attack to prove herself. And that's it. The Gokaijers are kind of going at Navi with some hammers and tools and just are really confused. It's a wonderful scene of Luca with some kind of like hacksaw, just like menacing Navi. But Marvelous off to the side, he opens up the treasure chest that they keep all the keys in. And a bunch of them pop up and start shining. And it's all the red keys. And the light shines upon Navi, and she turns into a fucking door. It was literal after all. And there's a bunch of locks on it with the shape of the keys. So it's pretty it's pretty simple what they gotta do. Yes, it is it very much looks like an escape room type of puzzle. Like everything has like a symbol on it, so you could just match the key to the right hole. Tokusatsu themed escape room. Okay, that's a game for that's a game for episode one hundred. Wait, do do we have to design it? I I mean I will, and you, then you'll never you'll never solve it because you'll never remember anything. No. Anyway. <laughs> and and it'll be and by the way, it'll be like a literal escape room. Like I'm gonna lock you in a, in your closet. God damn it! I have an hour to get out, or I die. They open the door and go into a weird cave thing. Yes, in my notes as I was watching this, I called it a dark ass Zelda cave before realizing that they were about to find the fucking Triforce. They walk forward, and on a pedestal is a triangular, it, glowing, golden Harry, icon. It, it's the Triforce. It's, it's it is, literally the Triforce. Yes, imagine the Triforce 
from the Zelda video games. That's what they find. He runs forward and grabs it. And that says, huh, it's kind of small for the greatest treasury of the universe. But then it glows and starts talking to them. It announces itself as the will of the planet. They ask it how valuable it is, and it declares that you're the ones who will judge uh, its value. They're a little confused by this, so it says, Yeah, uh, when fueled by the ultimate power of the 34 Super Sentai, it can reshape the universe as you desire. So they got the fucking Infinity Gauntlet. At the start of the series, when the Sentai all merged their friendship into one big laser beam and fired into space to defeat a fleet, it somehow coalesced and they have like an, an unlimited wish here. The, so they start asking some questions like, hey, can we just wish for a universe where the Zagak didn't exist and we were at peace? And it says, yeah, that would work. You'd simply wish the Zagak never existed. People go around the room like, uh, Luca is asking, can her sister be brought back to life? Like, I'm is asking, my planet that was destroyed, can we restore it? Like, they're asking, they're asking the hard fucking questions. Joe quietly asks, can I get Sid back? <laughs> the... The Triforce just keeps saying, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. It's, its answers get shorter and shorter. Like, yeah, I, you, anything, anything, you guys. All that exists in the universe and, and how it all of it intertwines is yours to shape. So they have won, and they're about to lead it and use it, until Doc kind of pulls back his hand and he says, wait, what, what does this mean for the power of the Sentai? Yeah, like, are we, it uses the power, so are we going to lose him? And Lucas says, yeah, you didn't think we were going to keep the powers after we we got the treasure, man. We were going to give it back. Uh, but Doc says, no, 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 no. It talks about using up the power. Um, What what happens with the, the 34 Sentai? Like, what happens after, like, are they going to disappear? And the Triforce just says, you don't need to concern yourselves with that fact. <laughs> so they push a bit more, and it's real, it's determined... That if the ultimate power is used, all 34 Sentai teams will be wiped from existence. Not just from existence, from history. They never will have existed. And the team kind of looks at each other shocked. And before they have time to process this, we get Insarn having a fight. Uh, yes, it's a nice, big, creepy mech suit. Like, it's one of those mech suits where it's got a face for a chest and like, that just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, uh, she's shouting about how, you know, she she's going to deliver their heads to the Emperor and he'll forgive her. The weapons that she's designed will be used to conquer the whole universe and she'll be the greatest scientist ever. But unfortunately, this is a very, like, it's a it's a fun fight to watch. But it's just, it's basically just the team showing off the five ultimate powers they just got. I mean, they kill her. Well, I mean, they blow up the mech. Uh, there are some uh, large Sangorman that are kind of tying up. A uh, guy uh, when they go down to the ground and they fight her, you know, on foot, uh, where she turns out to be like a metalhead from Cobra, just shouting "bang bang" as rockets fly from her, uh, from her shoulders. She gets slammed by a bunch of new on foot ultimate powers, and she goes down. She screams to the heavens like, "This can't be! Not at a place like this!" Emperor Gill. A lot of uh, red Sangorman are getting just straight punked now too. They're losing like one v one. Uh, while Marvelous was taking uh, Insarn down solo. After a fierce fight that lasts for like 10 minutes, uh, she goes down, and back on the ship, Dirando <laughs> basically says, Bye, Felicia. Yep. This was kind of exactly as planned. Like, uh, if this had gone, if she had won, then she would have won. 
But now that she lost, what that means is the Sentai are tired, and they're all in the same spot. So it's time for the orbital bombardment. Don't even wait. Like, the guns were primed and ready to go, and the Sentai get blasted. Like, there's enough ships to blot out the fucking sun. Yeah, the fleet, it's way bigger than the one that they fought during the Legendary War. This is a sizable chunk of the entire Zagyak armada. It is annoying, fighting, competent villains. And that's the break. Like, as the episode ends, they're, they're being shelled. So we go into episode 50, The Day of Battle. Uh, the Sentai are dodging blasts from ships. Uh, they transform, they get back to the galleon. It's time for a last stand, motherfucker. They get into the mech, and they start spamming powers at the fleet, and they're taking out dozens of ships, hundreds of ships. And it's not making a debt. It's like the end of the first act of Macross, where they're fighting the entire Centrati fleet. Like, you're not doing this conventionally. Like, this it's kind of reminded me of, like, a Voltron episode. Like, a single mech versus just an entire alien fleet. Uh, only the numbers do weigh down in this particular case. So they start getting shot more and more. The, the little mini-mechs that they summoned get destroyed, uh, and the Gokai Galleon is shot down. It's getting tore the fuck up, it explodes, and the Sentai, they're ejected uh, into the debris, and uh, they're all unconscious, and the uh, the Zengiak, they believe they have won. They gave the final speech. Attention, Earthen Cattle. The space pirates that have impeded this planet's domination by our empire have been crushed. No one is left to prevent this planet's destruction. When the sun rises tomorrow, we will exterminate every human being on this planet. Use that remaining time to lament your defiance. Uh, now, Harry, when they say when the sun rises tomorrow, they realize that they're talking to all of Earth? Um, or do they do they kind of think the same way as the producers of the show and that Japan is Earth? It's a weird thing to say from like a spacefaring race. It's a little imprecise, but the point is they're screwed. Because the, they're down on the ground, and Doc is looking at the galleon and saying, I cannot fix this in a day. So now we get, like, the really hard Toku trolley problem. They have the Triforce, and they have to figure out, like, okay, we could win right here and right now. But the cost of that victory is the Sentai. All of them. Like, as they ponder this question, they have to wander through the rubble. For the first time since kind of the start of the series when, remember the whole thing about like the, there was the tsunami and like the earthquake that caused huge destruction. They've kind of been holding back a lot of that stuff on the show, but now they're doing it like very specifically. They're showcasing like a Sentai of the past, like uh, emergency workers, you know, saving people from rubble, like uh, helping people, putting families back together. It's, it's really affecting what they're doing. And they basically have a lot, lot of people saying things that came up directly on the Twitter that were said by Sentai actors and character. The, the kid from a few episodes from a little bit back, when Luca and I were dealing with the rescue worker, like the kid and the mom that have like a new little sister, she protects her mom from some Gorman and saying like, yeah, I, I found out that people in Super Sentai get scared sometimes too, but when they have to, they're brave and fight to protect what they care about. When a doctor is just pulling people out of rubble, he's saying, as long as you don't give up, we can get out of this. The Super Sentai have gotten out tougher, have gotten out of tougher situations than this before. Mm. <laughs> the one that really hit me. A lady just sitting on the ground talking to a bunch of kids like, don't worry. When you grow up, remember, everybody can use a type of magic called courage. With it, you can make sure the future is bright. I will uh, also point out, like, 
remember that kid uh, that they ran into in like episode five of the series? Episode two. Oh, that was episode two. Yeah. So yeah, they show him and he's uh, beating up some uh, Gorman. Kid had a fucking growth spurt. He he's fighting with the wind sword and he's doing kind of okay. He gets in and over his head, but Marvel shows up to save him, saying, you've gotten a little tougher. He shrugs and says, yeah, not enough, but even if I'm not a super sentai, I can still fight. What about you? Did you find any value in our planet? And Marvel nods a lot. So the team gets back together, and Guy, he pulls up the Triforce, and he says that, you know, this planet needs to be saved, and... He hates to lose the Sentai. He hates it to his core. But they need this power to defeat the Zangiac Empire. We gotta do it. And he was convinced by a meeting he had with a former Sentai member, the Black Ranger from Z-Ranger. Which, by the way, is the fav- was the favorite Sentai of the actor who plays Guy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they got that guy so he could have him for the scene. Oh, nice. Yeah, Goshi from Z-Ranger. And he's, like, pulling up some rubble to save a kid. And he's talking. We were only able to push the Zangek away from Earth, but what we really wanted to do was create a peaceful universe where nobody was oppressed by the Zangek's rule. Gokai Silver, the time has come for you to carry out our wishes. So Guy says that the Sentai, they believe that they are worth sacrificing to save the Earth. At which point Marvelous says, no. Not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And everybody else pipes up. I don't know. How, how in depth do you want to do this, Sam? Because I just kind of copy the script for like a scene or so. <sighs> Gotta be honest, Harry. I was crying some real tears during this scene. They learned how the people of this world have grown strong from their example. That even in a dark time, they haven't lost hope and are working to fight to the end. Like they, Lucas specifically says, we, how could we just snatch something like that away from them? This planet needs the Super Sentai. Loss is hard. But we can't go back. We gotta go forward. We've managed to live by accepting what's happened to us. No matter how painful it was, it's only by living through it that you become who you are. Marvelous puts a a pin on it. We could change the past, and that would guarantee a peaceful future. But who wants a boring future where everything's set in stone? Mm -hmm. Guy, the choice is yours to make. Guy looks at it, bows his head, and says, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm the sixth member of this pirate crew, Gokai Silver, and I'm going to seize my dream by my own hand. He throws the ultimate treasure in in the universe into the air and shoots it. He probably should have checked to see what would happen before he did that, because, you know, might might have destroyed the universe there. Yeah, there's some time space there, but it's it's real dramatic and good. And so as the episode comes to a close, uh, the Zangiac are showing up on Earth slash, you know, Tokyo, uh, to destroy all of humanity, and we get to one see... One by one, apparently. <laughs> like, they're doing it on foot. Yeah. That, that's some grudge there. I mean, that uh, uh, that's what, like, Genghis Khan style? Like, just start at the outskirts of a city, slowly walk in, kill everything? Yeah, li- line up. T- line up ten to a man, and we'll go down this line and cut your heads off. The Gokaijers, they just power walk onto the scene, waving that flag fucking high. Yeah, and there's also, like, a crowd of regular humans with pipes and bats and stuff who are gonna take on the Zangiac. They probably would have been able to take out the Gorman. Because they're Gorman. Yeah, they all yell some stuff. They they kind of mirror the things they said in the first episode. 
all of them. Like, they, they say the same things they said to the first monster, and Doc even, he says, like, you know, we and ev- and all these people here hate guys like you. And so that's the episode break. They call themselves the Pirates Sentai Gokaiger for the first time. Really? I'm pretty sure before they always just referred to themselves as those pirates you've been hearing about, but I think this might be the first time they called themselves Sentai. Huh. Fair enough. So, as the next episode begins, uh, we get to see the Sentai just straight up punking uh, the, you know, the last remaining action lieutenant, the the dude with the hammer, because he's just kind of not that threatening nor interesting. Well, they, he, they're beating him back, but then the, the fleet comes in, they do another orbital barrage, and it's looking pretty bad. But then Basco's ship, the Free Joker, shows up with Navi driving it. Yep, Navi has stolen a spaceship. Go, bird. You are a true member of this pirate crew. I always deliver when the going gets rough. Let's make a show of it. And <laughs> does like that aura, aura, aura thing. So Marv, uh, seeing this, immediately comes up with a plan. Hey, let's ram the fucking flagship. Yeah, let's go and kill the Emperor. Some of the people on the ground freak out, but Joe says, The Emperor personally showing up during a battle is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. This is your dream, defeating the Zangyak. Get going, guy. So Guy and Marvelous go on the ship. Everyone else stays on the ground to continue fighting the Gorman there. And uh, the last remaining lieutenant. It's a suicide run on the Emperor's ship. Uh, they they ram it, they get in, and now they're boarding. <laughs> it's uh, They immediately kill everyone on the bridge, except for the Emperor, who hasn't moved a ditch. He's just sitting on the throne. It's saying like, you've done well, but this bridge will soon be a tomb. <laughs> and Marvelous shouts back, yeah, yours. It's not the snappiest Marv dialogue, but you know what? That, that comes later. Yeah. So Marv and Guy attack the Emperor, and the Emps is beating them, while sitting in a chair. <laughs> Guy yells, fuck it, and does gold mode, and actually manages to make it look good, and starts forcing the Emperor to actually stand up and deal with them seriously. Marv, for his part, runs over to the controls and starts doing something. While Guy is distracting him, Marvelous has decided to win this battle. So, it's the flagship... It has all the biggest guns, and it's at the center of the enemy fleet. So he just presses some buttons and has it attack everybody. And they wipe out thousands upon thousands of ships in a single go. Now, Harry, uh, let's let's just pause for a second and do some quick math here. So these ships that uh, are attacking the Earth, they're fairly large. How many crew would you estimate each one has? Uh, probably, I mean... As, as a point of reference... Uh, a U.S. Uh, aircraft carrier has 6,000 crew members. So use that as a baseline. Well, that's an aircraft carrier, though. Like, I, I think that's a bit more than, like, a battleship. Anyway, because there'll probably be bigger ones and smaller ones. Like, let's say 6,000. So 6,000, and there's thousands of ships. Yeah, so we're talking many, many, many millions of casualties from this battle. Yeah, but fuck them. Uh, uh, agreed. Agreed. But it's just, yeah, this really is a massacre. Yeah, down on the ground, uh, Dirando turns and is like, oh my god, the fleet from across the universe, how can we do this? And Joe turns it to Deckmaster, the cop, to shoot him in the back. <laughs> I swear, we, we the shows keep bringing this up. Uh, so they finish off the lieutenant with a, you know, little fanfare. Doc does turn into the Sentai guy who turns into a sword, so Joe can dual wield. After transforms back, uh, you know, acknowledges some of the body horror of that by cracking his spine. Back up on the ship, the Emperor is getting some of his momentum back. He's saying, screw it, I'm just going to eat, I'm just going to feed you guys your next finisher. And the Gokedras say, fine. And then they turn and attack the console. Yes, they do their finisher, 
uh, at the ship and blow it up. Back on the ground, Joe and everybody are screaming Marvelous and Guy because that looks pretty bad. But there are Sentai who can fly, so they just transform into those and they're fine. They just uh, miraculously float down to the ground and everyone is cheering and happy and they say that they have defeated the Zangiac Empire. Until Marv turns around and he says, not quite yet. So the Emperor lands. Who who was it you were trying to bury? So in, in the past, re- remember, uh, jealousy was considered very strong when it took, like, when he could survive a finisher. Damaris, it took, like, a couple different finishers and a stab in the back from Basco. Keep that in mind for this fight. Mm-hmm. Emps, a t- Emps is a tank. Give in to your fate. Your fate that involves being buried by my hand. But they shot back, no, nope, that's not going to happen. On this world, we found a power big enough that even we didn't want to mess with it. You probably can't tell, but you're fighting all of the Super Sentai who've defended this world. So they just start transforming, just doing a showcase of all the different teams, and just landing finisher after finisher after finisher. Like, they're holding nothing back for this guy. Every single team. Like, they, they start with a helmetless roll call. Like, when you watched Akiba Ranger, Sam, and when they did that in that show, you're like, is this important? That's because in the shows, they always save them for moments like this. So, yes. Mm-hmm. They literally start transforming it into every single Sentai. And, like, they there there's five minutes of this, this episode. You can watch it on YouTube. Where they're just constantly landing finishers and attacks. They stunlock the Emperor. Just by juggling the various series. Just back and forth on him. They do themed finisher groups. They do stuff like that. They, they're they hitting him with, like, random bats and ribbons and stuff. <laughs> From the Joke Rangers, yes. And then eventually they pull out a bazooka and they stab him in the chest. And now then you ch- know why I was so specific about it having a bayonet on the end. Uh, yes, you were correct. That is a bayonet. They plant it in the chest of the Emperor and then they pull the trigger. And we gotta do this final line. This can't be. I'm the emperor of the entire universe. Actos Gil. Sam, what's the response to that? Oh, I didn't write it down. You didn't write that down? No, I didn't. Because I'm the worst. You can whine about it to your kid when you're dead. Oh, shit. Yeah. I did write that down. Why did Why did I miss that in my notes? Yeah, that is fucking cold. Kids show, but yeah. So they blast them apart, and after like, <laughs> their ears no longer no doubt echoing from explosions. They're kind of just crawling on the ground and there's nothing left of him but some cinders. We then cut forward in time uh, where they're reading the newspapers, which are declaring that the Zangiac Empire has split into warring factions and they're losing control of the universe. Yay! There's a raging civil war across the entire universe. I mean, there's going to be some problems, but like they lost the Emperor and the heir. And most of, and like all of the upper command staff and most of the fleet. So I gotta imagine all those little planets that had been conquered are just kind of pushing back now. Well, I mean, we could be dealing with like a Project Cinder situation. Hmm. But, you know, that's for a future Sentai series to deal with. Like, it's, it it's gonna be rough. Like, the, there's a lot of super, super weapons hitting the black market now. <laughs> but we don't have to worry about that. The, the point is... They beat the Empire, they all had, they're all super happy, and hey, they're back at that cafe from the first episode, getting their damn curry. Yes, Marvelous enjoys it thoroughly. Yeah, he has a bunch of plates. Uh, They're leaving the restaurant, and they run into a group of children who declare them as heroes. Uh, They defeated the Emperor, and they're true Sentai warriors. 
And they just kind of shake their heads and say, no, we're pirates. He was in our way, so we killed him because we're pirates. It's not like we wanted to save you, Baka. Uh, uh, yeah, they they walk off. Guy has said goodbye to all of his friends from Earth saying, hey, I'm going to go live in space as a pirate now. They ask uh, Marvelous, uh, so hey, what's the big plan now? And he declares that, well, clearly they can't go after the biggest uh, treasure of the universe. So now they have to go after the second biggest treasure of the universe. He has no idea what it is, but he figures it's on the Zangiac homeworld. Yeah, I mean, they're just gonna, they're gonna loot the planet in the chaos, because they're pirates. I mean, in his defense, you know, under Coruscant was buried many, many a treasure by the Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, and, and a Super Star Destroyer. Yes, that was one of many, of many treasures. What was it? There was a Super Star Destroyer, uh, at least one. Was there more than one? There was also various clone facilities. Um, was there a mini Death Star hidden down there, or was that like a, a series of black holes? That that was that was in the black holes. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, they they're all just happy. They there's some character beats as the credits roll, and Marvelous decides to uh, return the Ranger keys. There's a montage of former Rangers getting the keys back and looking on happily. The final one of which, of course, is the mysterious, uh, was it Akiba Red? Well, it was, it was Go Red, the Red Ranger from the first series. But Aka Red, the, the friend and, uh, former captain of Marvelous, does show up on the bow of the ship and give him the nod. So that is Pirate Sentai Go Kaiger. Harry, I thoroughly enjoyed this series. It's a good show. And I, th- can you kind of see why I chose this one to show, like, the impact and breadth of Sentai? Yeah, this is a very good showcase for that. So now, so do we, let's review the series, like talk about the highs, the lows, or should we just uh, go for a rating? Uh, I mean, we can go into it. I mean, at first episode, I said I suspected Luca would be the best character. I stand by that. That, that That's entirely accurate. Guy definitely grew on me. Uh, It's it's weird because like I, I've heard a lot about the way it changed, but it does feel like it wasn't too much of a shift from the first couple. That they were doing before the earthquake. Every Sentai series kind of, like, has to find its footing and find its groove. I did notice a subtle shift, but I kind of... If I didn't know about the tsunami, I wouldn't have realized what was happening. Like, I would have just thought that it was, you know, just a show's natural development over its uh, natural cycle. I guess the main thing I'm thinking of is that it's... I mean, I'd like to cover more Sentai series in the future, but it would be a bit weird because at a certain point... Like, it is a lot of fighting, and it is a lot of mech fights, and, like, I'm not sure how we would cover it. Because at some point, it's like, oh, it's an episode where there's a couple character beats, but mostly they're just doing a different kind of robot. And, like, I'm not sure if we can cover that in the same way. You're the Sherpa, so that's your problem to figure out. Sure, I'll figure that out. But, no, yeah, let's uh, let's go into ratings before I do a, a, a bit of something else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, ratings. Um... We're not, uh, we haven't been giving, uh, any kind of, like, letter rating or anything like that. We have been placing them on a spectrum, correct? Yeah, it's just above or below other things. And so far, we have finished Kamen Rider Double, Garo with the One Who Shines in the Dark, Black Lightning, and Ultraman Nexus. Is it in that order? Uh, no, uh, mm. Was Black Lightning above or below Garo the One Who Shines in the Dark? God, what did I say? You're the editor, Harry. Don't... Mm. I'm pretty... Mm. I think Black Lightning was above? I'm not sure. You know what? Yeah, I think it is above. Okay. Because at least it ended stronger. That's how I feel now. 
But I would put this above Black Lightning. Okay, so are we saying that our official rating is now... Well, you, you can have a separate rating. Do you, do you agree or disagree? I mean, really, like, this is... This was a damn good series. I would say it it is actually in contention for the top spot at the moment. So, uh, the question is, is it better... It's clearly better than uh, Black Lightning, clearly better than Garo, the one who shines in the dark, and absolutely clearly better than Ultraman Nexus. So... Is it better than Common Rider W? So let's talk about that for a second. I would say no, but not not because this is not a quality series at all, uh, but because I mean the the anniversary part of it did kind of detract away from some of the singular focus that Common uh, Rider W had. There were there were a lot of tribute episodes that were just kind of perfunctory. Yeah, I feel like Common Rider Double. I mean, it it not every episode was strong, but still, like, in every arc that was something, and it was more cohesive, like... I would say this series, it went, it did go weirder places. Like, I think back to the episodes with Jealousy, where he ended up fucking an old lady and impregnating her, or the episode where, like, I'm pretended to get married to Guy, and went on just this ten-minute, like, acid trip costume swap drama that even the people in the series were confused by. So, this series definitely went places. Yeah. And it it had high highs. It had some really high highs. I would say Common Rider W is a bit more consistently high. Yeah, like, th- this was serving a lot of masters, and the I mean, the fights were good, but it's just... I don't know. If if you were watching it week to week, I feel like this might be better, because Common Rider Double was based a lot more on liking the intense plot lines. But the way we approached it, I think Kamen Rider Double was the better show. A strong number two. If you're binging Kamen Rider Double because it's the more cohesive plot, but if you're just something to sample, like, this is great. And, you know, they're, they're good shows. Mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend it. And uh, something to move forward, and I'll just mention this here. If you want something kind of like this, like a group of friends having Shonen E adventures and maybe also pirates and stuff like that, there is something that you've probably already heard of because it's one of the most famous media pieces in the world star wars uh, but no one piece oh sam what do you know about one piece uh i know it's a manga i think a guy has like a stretchy arm you're right it's about a guy with a stretchy arm he is a uh, Mon- monkey d luffy he is going to be the next pirate king he swears and it is a very famous manga that has been running for kind of a while wait is is it still running oh yeah uh it started in july 22nd 1997 and it's continuing to the present day. So it's got 93 volumes of manga out right now. Oh my god. Nearly a thousand chapters. And it's still good. Wait, what? Yeah, it's actually good. Harry, if I read, like, one comic a day... So you're... It, when you say a thousand chapters, that's like a thousand issues of comic? Yes. Holy shit. Like, is it... Was this one turned into an anime, or... Oh, yes. There, there's like 900 episodes of the anime. Oh, my God. H- how are they producing it that fast? Um. Or wait, are, are is that even fast? No, they've been doing it since the 90s. Oh, my God. The anime, I think it's kind of not super great these days because they're, they have caught up with the manga and the manga is coming out. Well, just because of the amount they cover, they kind of need to do lots of filler and stretch out sequences and also in, just insert arcs that they make up just to have some time for things to go. But no, it's... 
there's a lot of strong parallels that have to be intentional because there's the pirate theme. They have similar weapons, but also the characters have lots of uh, similar characteristics like Marvelous and Monkey D. Luffy. The whole thing of loving meat and being totally fine after he eats some meat and sleeps for a night. That's totally a him thing. The second in command is a super swordsman that in one piece he actually uses a three sword style. He holds one in his teeth. Uh, it, it's it's a silly comic, I should say. It It's a super fucking weird, like it's... It's a world where everybody has weird powers, and there's weird... They're fighting a super huge government that's ruled everything for hundreds of years, and it's becoming more and more dystopic as you learn more about it. Uh, but the, there's strong parallels. Luca is a lot like Nami. Uh, I'm is a lot like Vivi, who they met for a little bit. Doc is kind of a mix between uh, Chopper and Usopp. I, I'd say Guy is the only one that has a, doesn't have a really strong kind of equivalent because he's very specific on the sentai but it's it's a good manga that it is really super long it's still going so huh. yeah th- a thousand chapters okay okay this is like one of those weird like it's weird running across a piece of media that is just so ridiculously deep and evolves that you just have no idea exists out there I mean, to be fair, like, a Japanese person learning about The Simpsons would probably freak out in a similar way. I suppose so. I suppose so. But for now, that is the end of Pirate Sentai Gokaijo coverage. And we're gonna go in a weird direction because do you know what we need to do next episode, Sam? Uh, do we need to finish off the, uh, uh, the anime thing? Yeah, Gridman, what you hate. It's, it's time for us to finish the last four episodes. Okay, yeah. We're finishing that off. We're putting a cap in that and immediately rating it. Harry, we get to do two rating episodes back to back. How do you feel about that? Uh, I feel like we're going to have different ratings as soon as the next episode ends. No, Harry, we must have a consolidated rating system. We must agree. I disagree. Hmm.